Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. If you're like most women, the pain of labor and delivery is one of the things that worries you about having a baby, and sometimes medications, whether planned or spontaneous, are needed. So what are your pain relief options? I'm Dr. David Gambling, an anesthesiologist with Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns in San Diego, and this is Preggy Pals, episode 39. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise. What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? (laughs) Gotta make these pants fit. I've got kinkles. What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. I'm your host, Sunny Galt. Are you a member of the Preggy Pals Club? Our members have access to all of our archived episodes, plus bonus material after every new show, and special giveaways and discounts. And thanks to our partnership with Pregnancy Magazine, our members also get a free one-year subscription to Pregnancy Magazine. To sign up, visit our website, preggypals.com. Let's meet our panelists. We've got two of them today. One is joining us here in the studio, and one is over the phone. So Rachel, let's start with you. Hi, my name is Rachel Adams-Gonzalez. I am 29 and a product consultant for doTERRA Essential Oils. I am due April 10th with my second, a girl. My son will be three just before I'm due. And uh, I had an unmedicated birth center water birth with my son and we're planning a home birth this time around. So um, I'm curious to hear about all these um, pain management options I don't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have the information, though, yeah. just in case, right? <laughs> yes. Okay, and Michelle is joining us once again over the phone. Michelle's been a panelist on our show before. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, Sunny. My name is Michelle, and I am 34 years old. I design wigs for women with cancer and run a wig education program, wigedu.com. I'm due in a week or so, and the gender of my baby is a little boy. His name is Asher. I have a son who'll be almost 10, and I had a hospital birth for him previously. Okay, and Michelle, tell us a little bit more about your experience with having pain medication for labor and delivery. So when I had my son, I had my water break with no contractions and was induced with pitocin. Um Made it to uh, seven centimeters, really wanted to go natural, but I couldn't do it. And um, I requested an epidural. They tried three different times, and it was unsuccessful. And I did have some minor complications afterwards with a very sore back. So I'm anxious to hear what could be different because I'm a little nervous about having that experience again. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, ladies, for joining us on today's show. (coughs) Sound familiar? If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little, 
I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Okay, before we kick off today's show, um, there is a interesting headline I wanted to talk to you guys about as part of our news headline segment. All of these articles are also on our Preggy Pals Pinterest board if you want to check them out. So this one, of course, everyone's talking about Kate Middleton and her pregnancy, and poor thing has undergone quite a bit already being hospitalized. But I found this kind of funny article that's kind of uh, making waves on the internet that I wanted to read to you guys. Um, And the headline is, Kate Middleton's Pregnant, Six Ways Her Pregnancy Will Be Different than yours. And the subheading um, is royalty has its privileges. So the first thing they say, they say morning sickness. Kate reportedly suffering from serious morning sickness is in the hospital being carefully monitored and tended by some of the world's most renowned physicians. You start bringing a paper bag along on your morning commute and become adept to barfing into it at red lights. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one way. Uh, the second way. Very mater- true. Right? I know, right? Uh, maternity mm-hmm. fashion is the second one. High-profile designers from around the globe are salivating at the chance to clad the royal bump. Your pregnancy wardrobe consists of a few stretchy things from Target, a bag of miscellaneous used maternity clothes purchased on eBay, and some really ugly hand-me-downs from your cousin Janet. <laughs> Okay, the third thing, the big day. International media outlets will hurriedly scrap regularly scheduled programming and redesign their front pages at the first rumor of the royal labor pains. Starting about a week before your due date, your mom and best friend will begin to regularly pester you with some variant of, have you had that baby yet? Or I I think another version of it would be people on Facebook saying, okay, (laughs) it's your due date. Have you had that baby yet? Okay, number four, baby names. Uh, Kate and William will be somewhat constrained by royal tradition as to choice of baby names, though they will have a bunch of slots to fill. Note that paternal grandpa was christened Charles Philip Arthur George. You have free reign to go nuts if you want. Welcome Charo Hayseed Cinnabon Snooky. <laughs> so I guess we have some more <laughs> options, right? And the fifth one is capturing the moment. From almost the moment Kate and William's baby is born, he or she will be professionally photographed in a variety of outfits and settings, appearing on commemorative tea towels, silver spoons, coffee mugs, keychains, and any other uh, item imaginable. <laughs> You have lots of baby pictures on your iPhone, which is so true because I was looking through my iPhone the other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is just filled with stuff from my kids. We could add another uh, element to this, which is it gives new um, meaning to the term crowning. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. But I'm Bob. <laughs> Love it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Today we're exploring your pain relief options during labor and delivery. Even if you're planning a natural birth, it's important to know your options just in case. Our expert today is Dr. David Gambling, an anesthesiologist with Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns right here in San Diego. San Diego! (laughs) There's my accent. San Diego! Dr. Gambling, welcome to Preggy Pals. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, Dr. Gambling, do most women choose pain medication during labor and delivery? Do we know the stats on that? In in our hospital, I think the short answer is yes, they do. I, I think most women um, plan to do without, and it's not until they're actually in labor then the, the decision's made because they can make an informed choice at that time. Okay. How important is it for women, would you say, to know their pain threshold before going into labor and delivery to be able to make this choice regarding pain medication? Again, I'm not sure until you test um, your pain threshold, you know what your pain threshold is. I think some people have an idea, oh yes, I'm I'm pretty good with pain. Um, but to be honest, I'm not sure, one, that you can know your pain threshold properly, and two, I don't think it's important to know what your pain threshold is. Okay, so don't worry about that. When we hear about systemic medications, what are some of those medications that we're referring to? Well, in our hospital, we use intravenous fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid. It's a, a potent painkiller that is used prior to receiving an epidural or, or um to the exclusion of an epidural. There's some people that will do very well with just um, a a small dose of fentanyl and others then, uh, as labor progresses, require stronger pain relief. What what most of the ladies that that I talk to about this say is it takes the edge off their pain, uh, doesn't totally get rid of the pain. There are other agents such as uh, Stadol or uh, Butorphanol, Demerol, otherwise known as Meperidine, and Nubane or Nalbufine, those agents are used in other hospitals. Um, Stadol and Nubane are what, classified as uh, agonist-antagonist opioids so that it's felt that they're less likely to cause side effects to the baby. One of the big concerns about using intravenous and narcotic painkillers is that it can um, depress the respiration of baby at birth if given um, soon enough to the birth of the baby. Fentanyl is pretty good in that regard. We don't see depressed babies from the fentanyl, um, usually because um, enough time has elapsed for the drug to be metabolized and not have an effect on the baby. Okay. And do you have to administer all of these agents, or is this something that, let's say, you know, a nurse that's in the room could give the patient? No, these, these are medications that the nurse administers. And we, okay. You don't require an anesthesiologist to receive these drugs. Okay. Now, I know a lot of the times women arrive at the hospital prior to um, being able to be admitted. You know, they may feel pains and whatever and decide to go. And then when they test them, you know, when they check them, they're not quite dilated enough to be, you know, admitted into the hospital. Can any of these agents be given 
given to um, soon-to-be patients before they're admitted to a hospital to give an edge off? Are we talking about only once you're administered to a hospital? Yeah, these these drugs are administered within the hospital. I mean, they're, they're potent narcotics, so they're controlled substances. Okay. Uh, and they won't be given an, until the patient is admitted in into oh, the hospital. Okay. okay. So we're not going to give somebody one of these drugs and then let them go home. Right. But if they were staying there, let's just say, because like in, in my instance with my firstborn, I arrived at the hospital and I wasn't quite dilated enough. And and they thought that if I did some laps, you know, you know, for about an hour, walked around a bit, I would be dilated. And that is what happened. But I'm just wondering, I mean, the pain seemed pretty intense to me even when I first arrived. If you know you're going to be admitted and you're going in that direction, um, and maybe it depends on the hospital on what they're willing to do. But can you ask, you know, for something at that time, or do you just need to wait? Um, in our hospital, you would just need to wait if you if you had pain that uh, it was judged you could walk it off and walk around with your husband and, and do breathing exercises, and you wouldn't be given an intravenous painkiller. That would come at the time when you were admitted to the uh, labor room and and that there was access to monitoring. Okay. Dr. Gambling, I'm, I was wondering, is there any um, side effects after you deliver from these medications, like constipation or things that may want to deter you from choosing those items versus an epidural? That's a good question. There are side effects associated with these medicines. Um, fentanyl uh, can cause nausea. Uh, any of the narcotics can cause nausea. Uh, long-term use of narcotics can cause constipation, but it's not a, a, a common side effect that we see from short-term use during labor. Um, some of the medicines, such as fentanyl, can cause um, itching. Um, but mm-hmm. but some dizziness and nausea uh, we see not uncommonly, and you need to be aware of that when when you request that type of medication. Drugs like Stadol or Butorphanol are a little weird in that they can give you a, what's known as a dysphoric reaction and out of body experience, uh, which is, can be mm-hmm. quite unpleasant when you see yourself from the ceiling. Um, so mm-hmm. so I would be careful. And we don't use those drugs anymore. We tried them for a while back in the eighties, but uh, didn't find them to be particularly effective and, and actually unpleasant to some individuals. For the medications that we've already discussed, can you have those throughout your labor and delivery experience or is that primarily just in you know a, a certain stage of labor? You can have them throughout the course of your labor if, if, if they do the job for you. Okay. Uh, however, for a, a large number of women, uh, it, they're fine in early labor, in the latent phase, and they do take the... the um, the the um, the peak of the pain away, but they don't get rid of all the pain. Um, however, it may be enough for some individuals, and and we do have ladies that go all the way through with with uh, um, in, intravenous narcotics alone. Okay, and you may have to have multiple doses of these drugs, right? Depending on how long your labor is. Exactly, uh, they're given um, by doctor's orders, um, through doctor's orders by the nurse, um, within safe limits. Uh, but you can get multiple doses, um, and in some hospitals, it, the drugs can be administered through a pump, uh, uh, intravenous pump, with a patient-controlled uh, button capability, so that you can self-administer small oh, doses wow. to yourself throughout labor. And that's an option for women who have a, an absolute contraindication to having an epidural. Okay, but only only in that case? or uh, 
Not necessarily, and, okay. and there may be some centres set up to, to provide a, a woman with uh, uh, intravenous patient-controlled analgesia. That's a, a, a viable uh, approach, okay. uh, but needs to be dis- discussed beforehand. Sure. Okay. So the big one that we hear a lot about, especially um, for first-time births, is an epidural. So walk us through what an epidural is and what it's supposed to do to the body. Right. I think it's important um, before you even come into the hospital and labor that you've had uh, some education on epidurals, and it's readily available to you through hospitals, through doctor's offices, uh, through websites such as this. Most hospitals have a uh, video informational um, um, program as well that you can watch in early labor. So what is an epidural? An epidural is uh, it's an invasive technique. It requires the expertise of an anesthesiologist to, to perform uh, under strict uh, aseptic conditions. So we're, we're very careful. Everyone wears masks, uh, sterile gloves. It's a sterile procedure. It involves the uh, injection of local anesthetic narcotic mixture into the epidural space through uh, a needle and a catheter. Uh, I can walk you through the procedure briefly. It involves, uh, in our hospital anyway, the lady sitting up, hugging onto a pillow, arching her back out uh, in a C-shape, uh, with her shoulders and a chin down, keeping very still with a, a support person in front of her to give her encouragement and physical support. Um, she's receiving an intravenous infusion of a saline solution at the same time to compensate for a drop in blood pressure that we see after an epidural has been induced. The um, Under local anesthetic, so then in, in the lower back, um, lower third of the back, between usually the third and fourth lumbar vertebrae, local anesthetic is injected with a tiny needle, like a little bee sting. And that numbs the area. So it's like going to the dentist when you're having work on your teeth. Once it's numb, you might feel some touch and pressure, but no pain. Then through that numb area, we insert an epidural needle. And people always want to see the needle because they think it's going to be a big knitting needle. and Everyone's (laughs) concerned about it. But it's actually not a particularly long needle. and, And not all the needle goes into the back. In the average individual, we're talking about four centimeters from the skin to the epidural space. And so, you know, it's 2.5 centimeters to an inch. We go in, once we've hit the epidural space, then, um, and that space um, um, is the space through which nerves that supply sensation from the womb to, to the spinal cord. And we bathe those nerves with the local anesthetic mixture and, and then create numbness in a band around the tummy that allows a pain-free labor thereafter. Once we found the epidural space, uh, we thread a tube or a catheter into the space uh, and leave that in there, take the needle out. And that catheter then is a conduit for further future administration of, of the drug. Um, and we use a continuous infusion of drugs so as we keep you comfortable for the length of your labor because obviously we don't know how long your labor will be. Uh, in our institution, on average, uh, the labor lasts about six hours after the epidural is inserted. That's all comers. That's multiparous women, nulliparous women, uh, induced labors and spontaneous labors. So about six hours um, of, of epidural infusion. Could be shorter, could be longer. Uh, we tape that tube to your back so it doesn't get dislodged and we lie you on your side uh, you're usually comfortable within uh, depending on the technique used and we're going to address the different types of techniques in a moment 
uh, anywhere from five to 20 minutes to get totally comfortable. Okay. But you will notice a change pretty quick. I mean, at least that was my experience. I actually had an epidural with my firstborn. You know, I was feeling contractions, and thank goodness I didn't have a surge or contraction during the actual process of having the epidural. I was really concerned about that. I was concerned that, you know, because you're told to stay very still. It's very important, obviously. You're putting a needle into yourself. But um, at the same time, I was really worried that I was going to have a contraction and that I wouldn't be able to stay still because that's the last thing I wanted to do when having a contraction is to stay still, right? Um, why is it, maybe it goes without saying, but why is it so important that women do stay still and how long do they need to stay still to have this procedure done? Everyone has the same concern and we always reassure them that they will keep still and and over 30 years of doing this, I've not had a, a problem with somebody moving at an opportune time uh, and that's done through constantly communicating with the lady and having a support person there also communicating and talking them through it and and I think they understand the importance of keeping still you know there's a, there's a needle that, that is in the spinal area and you don't want to uh, to go too far um, and you don't want to hit a nerve so keeping still is important and and so that's the time it's a short period of time when that's required in fact so we just get the uh, the woman to focus and and to deep breathe during contraction if she has one at the time of the epidural. Sometimes, and arguably, having the epidural inserted during a contraction is not a bad thing because it takes your mind off having the epidural. (laughs) Right. Uh, But but to be honest, uh, a lot of women uh, tell me that having an epidural, and this puts the whole thing into perspective, having an epidural is no worse than getting an intravenous. Because the intravenous, again, requires a, a local anesthetic in the skin to start with, and after that, you don't really feel very much. So um, I think mostly that's the case. There are exceptions, of course. Okay. Michelle, can you share a little bit more with us about your experience in getting the epidural? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Dr. Gambling. It was um, pretty immediate that the um, anesthesiologist recognized that it wasn't working. And I know you weren't there in my case, and it was, uh, um, you know, I'm sure circumstances that can explain certain things. But um, he actually made three attempts, and I was still. um, Is there reasons why uh, it can be unsuccessful? I would say that the statistics tell us about one in a hundred epidurals will not work effectively. Usually they work initially and then stop working, and either because the catheter that you've placed in the epidural space has become dislodged or there's some anatomical reason for incomplete spread of the local anesthetic in the epidural space and there may be other reasons technical reasons such as spinal uh, abnormalities some people have scarring in their epidural space with uh, what we call a a septum or or a band that prevents um, uniform flow of the local anesthetic so I, and I think failure of the epidural means different things to different people. Did you get some relief? Did you get absolutely no relief? Did you get relief everywhere apart from a small area on the right, left lower right. part of your abdomen? Mm-hmm. I've had friends tell me, oh, you know, I had an epidural, but my right side was a little bit numb, but I still could feel everything on the left. And in my case, I did have 
some sensation from the epidural into my into my um, butt, but it really didn't do anything else. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's interesting how some women feel like they they have that one side experience too. Like, is that the the placement or? Um, you know, could anything have been done differently or is it just a physical reaction that that particular woman was having? Well, you have to also bear in mind the experience of the operator and and, and that does play a role. And most people at Sharp Mabur, Birch Hospital for Women in our department have got over 20 years of experience and, and putting an epidural in is a, is a fairly facile procedure. However, there are people that do present technical problems, those with excessive weight, those who have instrumentation of their spinal cord for one reason or another. Perhaps they've got an abnormal curvature of the spine. Uh, those sorts of things can, can cause technical problems. We do have ultrasound machines now that allow us to visualize uh, the spinal column and the epidural space, and we do use that as a, as a, um, to assist us in those difficult cases. So the big question is it going to happen to me again, you think? Or do you think if I choose to try to have an epidural, there's a good chance it could be successful? It depends on the operator and, and the circumstances, but th- there's no reason why you couldn't have uh, a, a good... Well, I had this discussion yesterday with a patient, in fact, for a similar situation. Uh, there's no reason why on a second attempt with a, a good operator you couldn't have a, a well-functioning epidural with, with no what we would call residua or no complications from the epidural insertion. So, Okay. That's good news. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, coming up, we're going to talk about spinal blocks. Plus, have you ever heard of an epidural spinal combination? We'll explain when we come back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking about epidurals, spinals, and other medications, pain medications. And our expert today is Dr. David Gambling. He's an anesthesiologist with Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns right here in San Diego. So in the first half, we talked about different types of pain meds you can take in addition to epidural. And now we are talking about spinals. So Dr. Gambling, what is a spinal block? A spinal block is sometimes known as a subarachnoid block. And if you can imagine uh, following the tip of your epidural needle, we've gone through skin, we've gone through a couple of ligaments in the midline, we've gone through the um, uh, into the epidural space through the ligamentum flavum. Um, beyond that epidural space is another membrane, the dura or the dural membrane. And then if you 
pass a needle pat through that, you then hit spinal fluid and you can aspirate the spinal fluid um, and then inject local anesthetic narcotic combination. And that will provide what's known as a spinal block. And we use that uh, to provide anesthesia for operative vaginal births, such as forceps. Uh, we use it, well, actually, even early in pregnancy, we'll use a spinal block to uh, have the obstetrician insert a cerclage uh, suture in the cervix for those people with incompetent cervix. And then we use commonly use spinal anesthesia these days for a cesarean section. Okay, what happens if a woman, what it would, it's a, um, uh, an emergency C-section where the, the mom has had an epidural you know, and trying to get the baby out, um, but, you know, is not progressing, and then it turns into a C-section. What kind of pain medication is administered to be able to turn what was going to be, you know, a a regular birth, a vaginal birth, into a cesarean? Well, again, statistically, I tell women that are laboring with an epidural that they have overall about an 18% or 1 in 6 chance of requiring a C-section, cesarean delivery, for one reason or another. Uh, sometimes it can be an emergency, but there are different degrees of emergency. There's urgent cases where you'd like to see the baby delivered within 30 to 60 minutes for one reason or another. And there's absolute emergencies, which are stat emergencies that require immediately deliver- delivery uh, because of uh, concerns about the welfare of the baby or even the mother. People with an indwelling epidural catheter, that can be used then to provide anesthesia for the cesarean section. And it can work pretty quickly if it's, if it's given at the time that the, um, the decision to do a cesarean has been made. Um, and so we will sometimes use the indwelling epidural catheter even in emergency situations. Um, if the catheter hasn't been working well, the anesthesiologist may just take the catheter out and very quickly induce a spinal block. Again, in our hands, we can induce a spinal block very, very quickly and and possibly quicker than getting ready for a general anesthetic, which is the third option. Um, And for those people with no um, anesthesia, no indwelling epidural catheter, maybe a contraindication to uh, receiving a spinal or just um, absolute urgency of the case, then a general anesthetic may be required, which means going off to sleep uh, by giving you uh, drugs through your intravenous um, and then getting the baby delivered as quickly as possible. So that would be kind of a, a last case scenario, right? That wouldn't be something that you would opt for right off the, the top? No, we over over the last few decades have gone away from using general anesthetics for cesarean delivery because we, for a number of reasons, uh, obviously the drugs themselves have uh, um, potential adverse effects on mother and on baby. If you give the, the drugs long enough to mother that you can end up with a floppy, sleepy baby. Uh, but usually that's not the case because we get the baby delivered very, very quickly. Um, and there are risks to receiving general anesthesia uh, in in pregnant women, um, and especially if they've had a, a big meal before they get their general anesthetic. We don't want people vomiting at the time that the uh, they go off to sleep. So we have certain concerns, um, and in our hospital, it's rare that we do general anesthesia, even for emergency cesarean sections. But we do we do do general anesthetics uh, occasionally. 
but not certainly not as much as we did 30 years ago. Okay. So let's go back a little bit and talk more about the spinal block um, for women who um, need to have a cesarean. This is actually what I had with my second born. Um, it was a planned cesarean due to some complications from my first. So we knew throughout the entire pregnancy that it was going to be a cesarean. Um, walk us through the process of um, what happens um, should you know it be a planned cesarean and no other drugs have been administered. Well, planned cesareans, we do a lot of those. And uh, once the, the um, mother and, the, uh, and her husband have been interviewed by the anesthesiologist and all the paperwork's done, we walk back to the operating room. And then the process I described earlier for the epidural insertion is similar for the spinal in that the patient's sitting on the operating room table. There's an intravenous in place. She's receiving uh, high-volume um, intravenous saline. Uh, to compensate for the low blood pressure that can occur after a spinal block, especially after a spinal block. And and then um, washing off the back with an antiseptic, the local anesthetic in the lower back, in the skin, usually again between the second and third or the third and fourth lumbar vertebrae. Uh, we use a much finer needle for the spinal. It's a, the gauge um, of a, an epidural needle is about 17 gauge. It's a fairly thick needle. The spinal needle is very fine. It's pencil point, so it's atraumatic. And the reason for that is we find that by using smaller atraumatic needles, the incidence of what used to be a very common side effect from spinals, which is postural headache, um, is much less these days. And the rate's about one in a thousand today. It used to be about 15% of individuals or more would get a very severe headache for a few days after a spinal. And if you talk to your mothers or grandmothers, they may describe that to you. We don't see it as much today for that reason. Okay, how quickly does it take effect? The spinal anesthetic works very quickly, unlike the epidural. Uh, and you, you'll feel, and what I um, tell my patients is to expect a sense of warmth as soon as the, the spinal goes in, and that warmth is felt in the bottom, in the legs, and the feet. And they, they usually uh, nod and say, yes, I'm feeling that now, and it's almost within seconds. And then they'll get a sense of pins and needles or numbness in their legs, and usually within five or ten minutes they can't move their legs. And uh, that's the thing to anticipate. It's very heavy legs for a few hours, certainly beyond the duration of the surgery. But your legs come back, and uh, uh, the other thing to be aware of is that we provide spinal anesthesia, which gets rid of the pain of surgery. But it doesn't get rid of all sensation. So you might still be aware of touch and pressure. And when the baby is being delivered at cesarean section, the assistant surgeon does apply a lot of pressure to the fundus of the uterus to help deliver the baby through the small incision uh, that they make. So um, that di that distinction is important. So it's a pain-free surgery, not a sensation-free surgery. Right. Yeah, I can just share from my own experience that it was immediate. Um, I, I, I guess I should back up. The, you're talking about the size of the needle. And I was expecting something um, similar to the epidural. Um, and I actually wasn't aware that the needle sizes were different. But that was a concern for me because um, when I had my epidural, I was one of those patients that moved just a little bit because, it, it you know, to me, it, it was – it. It was substantial. And um, so I was expecting that with the spinal, and it was like getting a regular shot. I mean, it was nothing. I couldn't, you know, it was super simple, which was just amazing to me because a spinal, which, you know, 
you know, you use for C-section so they can completely open you up. It was a more simple process than an epidural. Um, But for me, that was definitely the case. And they lowered me down immediately. And I remember when I went into the the operating room, initially it was very cold because they keep operating rooms very cold. And um, I was really, really cold. And the moment they, you know, inserted the spinal, um, I felt that warm cessation that you're talking about. And it made for a much more comfortable experience because I wasn't cold. Um, So that was just one benefit, I guess you can say. Um, And I, I had never had the sensation before of not being able to feel my legs or the lower half of my body. And it was very surreal to me. I actually had kind of flashes or images of being paralyzed or something like that. Um, And for me, it was kind of unsettling because I thought, not that I would ever have to jump up and run out of a room when I'm in surgery, but I thought I could not defend myself. I could not get out of this situation if I needed to. It was almost a sense of helplessness, even though I know I was completely provided for. My husband was right there. And I knew it was the best thing, you know, for our situation. But that was one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit. I was like, well, I'm really kind of helpless here. I did feel the tugging and everything, and, and, and my OB, you know, forewarned me of that. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is that I know some women get sick, you know, like they feel like they're going to vomit. And this was, you know, for me, it was a planned cesarean. I knew that I was going to have the medication and everything. So I purposely didn't eat for, you know, an amount of time prior. I don't know if it was 24 hours or something like that. And I did get sick, but I didn't get sick uh, until um, after the baby came out. Is that a common thing for women to, you know, feel like they're going to vomit? And, and why is that? What is it in the in medication? It is a common occurrence, and I warn all my patients that there's a potential for them to be sick at some time during the surgery and up to 24 hours after the surgery. Okay. Now, the nausea um, can come on as a result of low blood pressure that's associated with inducing spinal anesthesia, and we watch for that very carefully and uh, very aggressive with treating low blood pressure because once the mean blood pressure gets below a certain point, then that will... Uh, cause nausea. Uh, So we we keep the mean blood pressure close to where it was before the spinal is put in. We have drugs to do that. There's ephedrine, there's neosinephrine. Those two drugs are used commonly in the operating room for for cesarean delivery. The other uh, element is the fact that you're having um, surgery uh, in the um, abdomen and it involves pain-sensitive structures, visceral structures, and and so um, you can get nausea just from having those structures pulled about. Uh, and so we then add other drugs to help reduce um, nausea that are, that's related to the surgery in general, and those drugs include um, a drug called Zofran or Ondansetron, a drug called Reglan or Metoclopramide, and then we are also using a steroid called Decadron, which is very effective as well at reducing um, the nausea associated with the surgery. And all those drugs have minimal effect on the baby, and a lot of anesthesiologists will actually administer those drugs after the baby's born anyway. Honey, I just had one quick question about your experience. Was there anything different in recovery as far as the epidural and the spinal for you, or was it the same. You didn't notice any difference. For me, for my recovery, the one thing that I noticed was for the spinal, I, for about 24 hours after um, giving birth, I was very itchy. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, to a point where I, mean, I was constantly itching. And I think they did give me something for that. Something like, isn't there like an over-a-counter they can do? I can address that because the itching would have been due to the use of spinal morphine. And spinal morphine is given with, with the initial spinal local anesthetic to provide high-quality pain relief after, after delivery. So up to 18 to 24 hours. The downside, and it provides really good pain relief at that time. So that on your second day of recovery, you, you find that you have a little bit more discomfort, especially with movement. But one of the common side effects of spinal morphine and epidural morphine, or indeed any um, epidural or spinal narcotic, is the, um, the symptom of pruritus or itching. And that can be severe in some people. There's a range uh, of response. And some people have no itching. Uh, most people will have some itching that doesn't bother them. That When you ask, have you itched overnight? They'll say, yes. Did you get any treatment? They'll say, no, it wasn't that bad. And then there'll be a subset of individuals who have severe itching that requires multiple treatments. And the treatments include the drugs we've already mentioned. Nubane is a very good treatment for the itching of um, induced by spinal morphine. Um, real quickly, I wanted to touch on the combination spinal epidural. When would you get something like that? Well, if you come to Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns, um, most of the time, uh, we we have most of us now are using combined spinal epidural analgesia or pain relief during labor um, f- for for uh, labor epidurals because it provides a more rapid onset of pain relief. And we found by doing some clinical research at the hospital that it's also associated with less need for rescue medication by an anesthesiologist. In other words, it, it it seems to imply that the placement of the epidural catheter is more accurate uh, once that follows the spinal component of the, of the combination block. So uh, combined spinal epidural analgesia is commonly used around uh, North America and around the world these days. Um, and the advantages are that you get very rapid pain relief and probably more reliable pain relief throughout uh, labor and delivery. Wow, okay. And can you request that, or is that a question you should ask your hospital or OB to see which one they do? I think you can have that discussion with your anesthesiologist either before or at the time of admission. Um, There are some anesthesiologists who are not comfortable yet with the combined spinal epidural technique and will use the plain technique. Um, Both are are valid and viable options, um, but certainly have that uh, discussion. Uh, I will tend to use the combined spinal epidural technique universally, and and the discussion rarely comes up. Well, thank you, Dr. Gamling, for joining us today. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, we'll talk about some of the questions you should ask your anesthesiologist. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, my name is Annie and I live in San Diego, California. I have a question for Leanne Webster, your fitness and nutrition expert. I gave birth to my first baby just over a month ago, and I'm breastfeeding, and the baby weight just isn't falling off like I'd hoped. I wanted to start dieting to lose weight, but I don't want it to negatively impact my milk supply. Do you have any suggestions? Thank you. Hi, Annie. Thanks for such a great question. I think many of us moms have the same concerns after we have a baby, and we all want to take that weight off as fast as we can. Um, it is really important, though, to keep your energy levels up throughout the day and keep your milk supply up. Um, so I wanted to give you a few different suggestions that will uh, keep, you, keep you losing weight but also keep you feeling good. Um, the first thing I would suggest is adding in a 20 to 30-minute brisk walk every day as long as your doctor has gone ahead and given you permission to exercise. Um, and while you're walking, really focus on taking your heart rate out of its comfort zone a few times. Um, so I would say every three minutes or so, you want to really speed up that walk for 30 to 60 seconds and then take it back down to a comfortable level. So basically what you're doing is creating walking intervals, and this will help to rev up the number of calories that you burn, and it will also start to build your aerobic endurance for future um athletic endeavors that you might have. Uh, the second thing I would do is really focus on um, adding in lots of healthy, wholesome, good calories. Um, you want to have foods that are rich in fiber and in iron and calcium. Uh, some suggestions would be uh, Greek yogurt topped with granola, low-fat granola, and um, nuts are also a really good choice. A handful of almonds is great for fiber and calcium and protein. Um, also, focus in on adding in lots of uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. They're low-calorie, nutritious, fibrous, and um, they taste great. Uh, the big thing is that you don't want to drop below 1,500 calories. Um, that would probably affect your energy level and um, you just want to keep that energy level up so that you have um, the stamina to take care of the baby and to want to go exercise and to do all the other things that you probably have going on right now. So thank you so much for your question. I think new moms, um, including myself, when my son was younger, we all think about how can we lose the weight the fastest. Um, take your time, enjoy the process, and um, go for a walk. Okay, thanks, Annie. Have a great day. That wraps up our show for today. Coming up next week, our series on childbirth preparation methods continues as we explore hypnobabies. Thanks for listening to Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease 
or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, mamas, don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.